Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is my book review of The 2 a.m. Principle by John Levy. And it's the beginning of January. A lot of you are thinking about what you want to accomplish this year. And hopefully among the things you want to do is you want to have some adventures this year. And this book contains a scientifically valid formula for adventure. So this is a adventures manifesto by a social scientist who really likes to party. And what I mostly liked about this book and why you might want to read it is it follows this storytelling rich formula where there's a a principle, an anecdote, like a story, and then there's a scientific reference. And this is a formula that I find a lot more compelling and engrossing and easier to read than when people just do books that they just have a bunch of theories, just a bunch of ideas that they're putting out there. And then they have some data sprinkled in there uh, amongst, amongst all, the, all the rather dry information. I thought it made it a whole lot easier to read. So I want to tell you a story. I'm actually going to tell you about a very silly place, which is called Bocas del Toro. And this is a resplendent Caribbean island that is just off of the coast of Panama. And this is a place where travelers go to revel in the sun, drink till 9 a.m., and generally get sunburned. And I spent a couple of weeks there, once a couple of hazy weeks there, once upon a time, and silliness ensued. I stayed at this hostel slash nightclub that was called Aqua. And this was one of these places you've probably seen where they have a, uh, like a hotel built out over the water on stilts. And so it featured this awesome deck where you could go sunbathing. It featured a a swimming pool, the Caribbean there. It featured a trampoline and even some swings that you could, you know, propel yourself into the water. Perhaps, perhaps the most ridiculous thing about this place was I noticed that Every night, they would have a a dance party there. They'd bring in some DJ, and everyone would go crazy, and it'd be be a wild night. And so you'd have a lot of people there. And there was a dance floor also in this hostel. But I noticed that every morning, what would happen is, because there was drunk people that were jumping up and down on the floor who who were partying there, what they would do, they'd kind of destroy the floor of this place that was right over the water. And so every single morning, they'd have to bring in this crew of local guys that would disassemble and reassemble the floor so that hopefully the floor was like a little bit more secure and that hopefully no one fell through the floor of this nightclub into the Caribbean. And they would do this practically every day here. So Bocas del Toro, it has an unofficial slogan there, which was, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, 
flush it down. And you can find this written conspicuously in virtually every bathroom in the, in the island. And you can, you can figure out what, what that means. So it really was a silly place. One night at the hostel, they were doing a, a talent show. And so there was a bunch of local, really awful reggae artists that came in to do reggae performances. And uh, it was, so there was just, you know, screeching reggae music all night long. And I thought, hey, you know, maybe I should try to switch things up a bit here and I can try to do some stand-up comedy. You know, that'd be a thing to get out of your comfort zone. You know, you're drunk in Panama with a bunch of strangers. What better time to get out of your comfort zone, right? And so they're in this hostel slash nightclub with terrible music. They're amongst all the uh, the flip-flopped, sunburnt gringos. There was this really elegant woman in a white dress with a really amazing suntan. And so, of course, I you know, made it a point to approach her, make a little bit of conversation, and she gave me kind of that, that blase, hot girl response. And I was like, okay, whatever, move on. And then it was my turn to go and do my, my stand-up routine. And I had about 20 minutes to prepare. So I sat down and wrote out some jokes that I thought might be funny in my smartphone. And then I went to my hostel bunk bed there in the, in the place because I had to grab something. And I noticed something on my bed that wasn't mine. It was what looked like panties. And I, was, I wasn't there with a girlfriend or anyone. I was like, wow panties on my bed. This is, this is getting interesting. And I just decided impulsively, you know what? I, I can implement, I can add these panties to the stand-up routine that I did. And so I went out there, got in the spotlight and did my stand-up routine and it really flopped. People were just not paying that much attention to me. My jokes didn't really land. And then I did indeed pull out the panties and show them off to everybody. And I made some joke about hostile hookup culture. And then, <laughs> and then uh, they, they played me off the stage, actually. The DJ just started running the music because they're like, ah, this guy's not that funny. Let's, let's get him out of here. Let's get, the, let's get the music going back. But interestingly, after I had failed with, in my, my little stand-up routine there with the panties, the woman in the white dress was suddenly very interested in me, very interested in everything that I had to say. I was suddenly the center of attention, right? And so this little humorous episode there in that sunny little corner of the earth really illustrates the, the value in taking social risks. Social risks can either make you or break you. Social risks can make you the most popular person at the party. They can really add to your social capital or social risks can make everybody hate you. They're, they're a great way to be ostracized. There's kind of a way to do them right and there's, there's definitely a way to do them wrong. And we've all certainly observed people that did it 
the wrong way. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, really. But I think, it's something, I think it's something that you should learn to kind of yield if you want to have a great 2019, if you want to have a limitless social life. And that was part of the reason why I really liked this book, is that it delves really deeply into the social science and it gives some good practicals on how to take social risks. So I'll quote from the book here. When asked to describe the most wondrous, exciting, and remarkable experiences in their lives, people consistently say that they occur by chance, that these experiences are moments of sheer serendipity, a byproduct of the universe perfectly aligning to culminate in an extraordinary situation. But if this were true, if it were truly random, we would all live similarly exciting lives, and we don't. This just this means that there must be some method at work, some best practices that I could learn. And uh, you're probably going to party from time to time. If, if, if you're a normal person, you're probably going to party from time to time. And so why not get the maximum experience stories to tell uh, bang out of the buck that you are spending uh, that you are spending after the sun sets and I, I should clarify that this book is not like uh, Tucker Max it's not just like uh, booze fueled idiocy I was a digital nomad myself for six years and I, I observed I wrote about this in an article that I'll link to You'll want to check out the article for this video that's below wherever you're watching this video, by the way, because I have some great uh, photos and actually some infographics to go along with this. In, in my six years as a digital nomad, I observed that most travelers actually kind of suck at having great experiences abroad. They consistently cho choose the lesser pleasure over the greater pleasure. And epicness is hard to plan. What you want to, what the book clarifies, is what you want to actually devote logistically to. You, you don't want to plan for an epic night. You want to devote your logistical planning to your team, to your, your squadron that you're venturing out into the night with. Quote from the book. The best nights almost always involve some kind of preparation. They often involve selecting the right group of people to participate in a new location to explore. There were trends in the types of activities that worked to bring people together, and there also seemed to be a clear line of separation between a fun night and an extraordinary night that consistently showed up at 2 a.m. That's why the name of the book is The 2 a.m. Principle. So boring people can make the most amazing venue or party suck, while awesome people can make something that's really quite mundane a great experience. From the book, I would always rather be with the right people at the wrong party than with the wrong people at the right party. And another one of the keys is mission-driven partying. This is how you get epicness, okay? 
When you look at almost every great adventure, ranging from literature and movies to news reports or even your friends' stories, you will notice a clear and common thread. It had nothing to do with wealth, good looks, or resources. It had to do with a goal. Every great mission has an underlying, every great adventure has an underlying mission. And it isn't just any mission. It's one that is outside a person's comfort zone. So going out just kind of aimlessly to drink without, you know, just saying, ah, we're just going to blow off a little bit of steam. That's not really going to, that, that's going to just result in a bit of alcohol consumption and maybe a hangover. What you want to do is come up with some arbitrary mission when you go out. For example, you can parachute into a town where you don't have a hotel room reserved or designated place to sleep even, and find someone who will give you a place to sleep. You can make it your mission to get someone to give you their underwear. You can take a photo with something childish. If, if you make it your mission to find one, trust me, you'll find one there. They're out there. You can steal something insignificant from a bar. Just make sure to return it though, or else you're, you're a criminal. Hopefully a smooth criminal though. Hopefully you get away with it. You can make it your mission to try to meet someone from South America, or you can even make it your mission to kiss a police officer. You know, you always see police officers out in the nightlife districts and they always look kind of bored dealing with drunk people. Maybe they'd like a kiss. You never know. Okay, constrain thyself. Having too many options will in fact make us less happy. Constraints are thereby critical for reducing the overwhelming effects of the paradox of choice. Not only will they decrease, not only will they increase satisfaction, they will also catalyze creativity and excitement within the context of an adventure. So coming up with arbitrary constraints is always going to make your nights a whole lot more interesting. A couple of examples. Go out with no money and convince people to buy you drinks. Use a fake identity. Play a character. Maybe you can say you're a, a soccer player, football, football player from England or whatever. Uh, don't talk. You know, just communicate <clears throat> non-verbally with people. Or you can use a really silly pickup line with every person that you talk to. In my article on flow state, I talk about the importance of the skill-challenge ratio. There's three characteristics that define a good challenge according to this book. Clarity. There can be no confusion over the desired outcome. A person either succeeded or failed. Nothing in between. You either got the person's phone number or you didn't. You scored more points, ate more hot dogs, ran more miles, or hit a ball further. Second, time limit. The challenge must be completed by a specific time. And third, threshold of skill. A challenge needs to feel like it is at the limit of your ability. If it's too grandiose, it will seem boring. If it's too uh, grandiose, it'll seem impossible. Too easy, it will be boring. This sounds similar to the rules of a mission, except a mission guides your whole adventure. 
a challenge guides a few minutes of an activity at a specific point. Pushing boundaries. Next point that the, books, that the book makes is that epicness results from benign violations of the rules of polite society. And so you want to figure out how to legally push the boundaries of what you can do and your night will get a whole lot more interesting. Quote, people just don't pay as much attention to us as we think they do. We are all probably too self-absorbed to care. This means if you cross social boundaries that are terrifying for you, other people probably won't notice, care, or respond. Hopefully, this will give you a little more freedom to go out and have some fun if you want to be noticed. You really have to try hard to stand out. If it scares you and won't hurt you, it's probably worth doing. Importantly, you don't push boundaries for others. You do it for yourself. Committing these benign violations is something that deeply hacks your emotional state. It gives you kind of like this attractive, energetic glow that makes other people a whole lot more interested in getting to know you. Pickup artists will often, before they enter a swanky venue for full of beautiful, elegant, well-dressed women, they'll do something really intentionally absurd that gives them this, uh, that gives them this energetic glow. They'll do something like laying down on a busy sidewalk or bump and grinding with a tree or uh, wrapping toilet paper around their head. Back in the day, when I would go into a nightclub with a wingman of mine, we had a pretty good little hack that we would use. What we would do is we'd pull out our smartphones. We'd pull out a little timer app on our smartphones for 60 seconds. And then for 60 seconds, we would laugh hysterically at each other. We just laugh at nothing at all, which at first is a little bit awkward, forcing yourself to laugh, but then laughing at nothing becomes self-evidently funny and you you really, you know, have a have, have a real laugh with your wingman and people in the venue kind of notice that you guys are in a really good mood and it actually does make your uh, approaches, it makes people's receptiveness to you open up a whole lot more. A quote from the book. Their research suggests something very logical. We perform best not in the anxiety-free calm of our comfort zone, but in a state of what has become known as optimal anxiety or productive discomfort, somewhere in between over and under stimulation. Okay, so something else that you want to do to uh, optimize epicness is make arbitrary requests of strangers. And this is a, a social dynamics life hack that works pretty consistently. I think people call it the Benjamin Franklin principle. And what you do is you just ask people to do things for you, even things that you don't really need. And this gets them a bit more invested into the relationship and a bit more interested in you. Quote, I would encourage you to go out and make requests from strangers and see how often they agree to do 
whatever you ask. You will find yourself enjoying some unexpected rewards, all because you were willing to make a request or ask for a favor. More importantly, research has shown that people will like you more if they do you a favor. Be impulsive. Unless you're really risking life or limb or your freedom, don't think yourself out of taking benign risks. Adventurers take action. Quote, this research suggests that when you attempt to do something with a high level of perceived risk, the less time you spend debating, judging, or psyching yourself out, the less anticipation you will have and the more pleasant the experience will be. And this is something that's echoed in one of uh, Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power. He says in there, any mistakes you commit through audacity are easily corrected with more audacity. Interestingly, the way that memory works is that if a great night or a vacation ends on a bad note, then this whole episode gets enshrined in your memory as a bad episode. Thus, you want to endeavor to end your adventures on a positive note whenever you can. Quote, the most important characteristic in remembering your adventures fondly is ending on a good note. It turns out that the likely way we process our enjoyment is based upon a peak and rule. We don't process the duration of pleasure or pain. Instead, we remember the peaks of an experience and how it ends. And there was this book called uh, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. And interestingly, when we are thinking fast, we are more prone to take risks. Quote, if Chandler and Pronin's research tells us anything, it's that we can quickly boost our tolerance for risk and our desire for excitement. If we want motivation and the desire for risk, it is as easy as viewing fast-paced content that will encourage us to think faster. If you find yourself in a situation in which people are taking too many risks, try to calm them down and they will think more clearly. In essence, thinking faster led to a 27% increase on taking risks. This reminds me of a sales and persuasion life hack that I actually learned from Jordan Belfort, who is famous in that movie as being the Wolf of Wall Street. And he's, he's a real life person. He produced uh, an excellent sales course that I went through a while back. And in the sales course, he explains that he trains his salespeople to speak very rapidly and not really clearly articulate everything and that this puts their prospective buyers in a bit more of an impulsive state of mind. So on a sales call, you would not want to really clearly articulate, you received an investment prospectus about my firm. Instead, you kind of want to blurt out, you received an investment prospectus about my firm. And by speaking rapidly, 
you're going to increase the uh, risk tolerance, the impulsiveness of the person that you're, that you're talking with. Jordan explains in this course that important people speak rapidly. And personally, I vary the cadence of my voice a bit depending upon my audience. On my YouTube videos, sometimes people complain that I speak a bit slowly. And this is because I want to be really clear. I want to enunciate really clearly so that people can be educated and informed as best as possible from my videos. But if I'm socializing with people, if I'm in a casual setting, if I'm on a sales call, if I'm talking shop with someone, with another entrepreneur, if I'm doing some negotiating, a lot of times then I'll be speaking very quickly because it is one of those things that makes it seem like, wow, this guy's talking fast. He's in a hurry. Pickup artists will often talk about how there'll be a really hot nightclub with a big long line in front of it. And they want to get right into the nightclub. They don't want to wait around. They want to do their thing, right? And they'll talk about this very consistent phenomena where if you walk up to a bouncer in front of a busy nightclub very briskly and very purposefully, and then you kind of just mumble at them. You just say, I need to get in. Or you, or, or what you can even do is get a little piece of paper and you can walk very briskly, very purposefully up to the bouncer and you can just show them the piece of paper for about half a second. It, it honestly doesn't need to say anything on it. And you can just say, John gave me this to get in. And the bouncers will let you right in. So when you're acting very purposefully and very rapidly, it, it's surprising how uh, the rules and dynamics of society change change around quite a bit. Let's talk about travel. One consistent ingredient in epicness is, of course, travel, being in a novel environment. Quote, you need the right team, an, ex an exciting location, preferably new, an underlying mission to drive action, and constraints to catalyze creativity. And this doesn't necessarily have to involve a flight overseas to an exotic country. In the book, he shares some real adventures that he had by just venturing out of his native New York into small town USA. You don't need to travel a really long ways to advent for adventure. It could just be a road trip, uh, it could be going to a town that you've never been to or going to like a bar or a venue or uh, the kind of party that you've never been to before. Let's talk about fear of missing out or FOMO. And all of this fabulous social media technology that we have within arm's reach of ourselves at almost all time really stimulates our, our FOMO, doesn't it? Uh, you see all these photos on your Instagram feed of people doing extravagant things in cool places, and that's really not uh, real life. Logically, we know that this nonstop feed of, of really engaging, really attractive, really sexy JPEGs that are presented to us by our devices, logically we know that that's not real life, but it's still 
really kind of gets that insidious emotion of jealousy working and it can actually really be depressing. And John has, the author has a great mindset for this, which is, I live by a very important rule. Wherever I am is the best place to be in the world. And for the longest time, I avoided uh, and put off joining Instagram because I know that it can have this uh, real negative psychological effect on your state of mind where you're constantly comparing yourself to how everyone else in the world is portraying themselves to be living. And actually the pickup artist RSD Max uh, said something very clever that kind of convinced me to, to finally join Instagram and get a little bit more involved with it, which is that Instagram has this feature called stories. And I think this feature is now on Facebook. Some of you have maybe even seen my stories. And what it is, is you just make like a little video of whatever it is that you're doing on your smartphone and then you broadcast that out to the world. And it's like a little 20 second mini vlog. And what happens interestingly, I've noticed how this actually has changed my, changed my mindset a bit is you're constantly looking for like fun things to do because you're like, well, I put out a story yesterday of, I don't know, me eating at some restaurant or me joking around with my friends. And then it got broadcast out there and I saw that it was viewed by 40 people. And maybe some of them even gave me a little thumbs up or a little comment or something like that. And so it, it gets this gamification thing going on where it's a, I think this is probably an RAS thing where you start to be a little bit more observant and looking for things that are going to be fun to do that are going to make for a good experience so that you can broadcast them out to the world. I don't know, it's still kind of narcissistic and uh, kind of silly, maybe not the best way to spend your time, the hack to taking advantage of this effect on Instagram without, you know, living in jealousy because you're always comparing yourself to other people is to not follow very many people. Because if you're, if you're following a bunch of uh, internet celebrities, if you're following a bunch of professional hot chicks, if you're following a bunch of travel bloggers on Instagram, you're gonna inevitably end up kind of jealous of those people, just seeing what they are curating and broadcasting about themselves to the world. So on Instagram particularly, I don't follow any of those kind of people. I follow a couple of other thought leaders, I follow a couple of other biohackers, I follow a couple of other people that post thoughtful things, and then I follow a few close friends and family that aren't on Facebook. And I don't find Instagram to be something that is stimulating a whole lot of, a whole lot of jealousy for me. So I think that's a more responsible use of, of that particular tool. Let's talk about seeking discomfort. In the final pages of the book, he urges us to do that which makes us uncomfortable. And that's where the magic happens. Quote, remember that the size of your life is proportional to how uncomfortable you're willing to be. 
Let's talk about booze now. So everybody knows that alcohol is a commonality when people are sharing their stories of the most epic nights that they've had in your life. And if you think about the greatest nights in your life, there was probably some alcohol involved. And certainly a lot of the stories that he relates in, this, in the book involve drinking. So you don't have to drink to have peak experiences, to have an interesting life. I've had plenty of awesome experiences sober, but if you are going to drink, and I know that a lot of you are, you will want to read this book because his methodology, his adventure formula will 10x the peak experiences that you get out of your boozy nights. And if you are going to drink, I'd urge you to check out the podcasts and articles that I've done on biohacking boozing. You're going to want to mitigate the damage that alcohol does to your health and mitigate the time that you spend hungover. I'm a huge advocate of doing 30, 60, or 90 day sober trips where you go completely off of booze and you learn to draw a state from within. I'll also direct your attention, if you haven't heard about it, to Fenibute, which is a gobergic real alternative to alcohol. It's the supplement that's pretty cheap and relatively low risk that has a very similar effect to you on alcohol. It's legal. You can order it from, uh, I have some credible sources that I'll link in this article. And it really will have the same effect. You'll enjoy life. You'll enjoy music. Your friends will be a whole lot cooler. You'll be having adventures and you won't wake up with a hangover. It doesn't do all those really bad things to your health that alcohol does. This has saved me a ton of money and a lot of hangovers. Unlike in my recent memoir, How to Be Cross-Eyed, this book doesn't contain a bunch of lurid details of the author's sex life, but his methodology is definitely worth the attention of seducers. So if that's what you're into, you'll want to read this book. It contains a number of illustrations and infographics that visually break down his formula, his methodology, which I thought were very cool. I appreciated it. The, uh, the book itself I would recommend getting it as a print book, actually, because it had some formatting that didn't quite look right on Kindle, at least on my Kindle device. So you'd want to get the print version of that. I, uh, in conclusion, I enthusiastically recommend this book to, well, I recommend it to young single guys, definitely. I recommend it to seducers. I recommend it to, uh, socialites who see partying as a way of networking themselves up. Anyways, I hope you check out that book and let me know what you think of it. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset and I look forward to a continued conversation with you.